Life Audio. Hey, welcome to Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. Thanks for listening. We're back on Movement 2 of the seven Movement Song of Songs. And Movement 2 is crazy, insightful, so modern, so sophisticated, uh, so much in neuroscience, even though they don't have that, that terminology. It's hard to believe that it's 2,500 years old. Structurally, it's genius, worthy of being studied in literature classes, psychologically. It's an amazing picture of a traumatized man or woman. Yeah. Time and again, people who have listened to me speak on the song have talked about how they resonated with the Queen in Movement 2 particularly. I agree. Between that and the marriage in Movement 4, those are the two big ones. No one wants to talk about shame. Somehow it's more palatable to see a poetic image of it. We get it. We can resonate with it safely. We can communicate with it, interact with it. In this case, I think it's crazy helpful. So make sure you intentionally follow this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It means a lot. And give this podcast a review if you can. We so appreciate it. It's encouraging, but it also helps us get the word out. We may even put your review on our pod page. We'll be right back after some words from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, here's a review. The king, the groom, from the point of view of the queen, is leaping and bounding over the mountains to get to her. He shouts, so think Revelation. He can't wait to see her. It's news to her, but she's got to dig at it. She's hiding, though, behind lattice walls. And and I'm going to suggest largely subconsciously, right? He honors that for now. She can't seem to make any sense of it. Nobody else has treated her like this. So we pick up with her self-talk. Maybe it's going to sound familiar. Verse 9. Look, there, he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. And here's my expanded translation. Oh, look, my heart. Oh, what a lover. I've been pursued before, but this is something wonderfully different. See, look, there he is. He sensed my hesitancies, and though he could, he has not forced himself upon me. He has not presumed He gives me space, and so now love incarnate stands outside waiting for me, waiting for my permission to come to me. He shows no anger or resentment. There's no sign that his love is diminished at all. I haven't messed it up. He still, still wonderfully pursues me with his penetrating gaze. 
though outside, he can still powerfully gaze deep into the protective boundaries that are subconsciously both guarding and strangling my very soul. I think that I feel something that I haven't felt for a long time, honor. Oh, see, my soul, my lover gently reaches out his hands to me and speaks soothing words. Wow. Well, the great lover king is described as causing his eyes to gaze into the lattice, hoping to catch even a glimpse of the hidden and hesitant queen. And again, is this how you see worship, pastor, priest, minister? When you preach, are you aware that God is causing his gaze to penetrate your audience's very soul individually, where the hurts and the fears and the wounds and oppressions, the scary places are, all those hidden dark secrets? He is the compassionate surgeon, and he loves them so much he's causing his gaze to penetrate that. Wow. The key to the scene, from her point of view, is it appears to be an attractive latticework character house, but not to him. To him, it's a dying cage, a coffin. This is the nature of shame. The cure, the king. Verse 10, my lover spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter's past. The rains are over and gone. The flowers appear in the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, Come with me. And here's my interpretive expanded translation. Arise. It's time to leave this dark valley with its lifeless walls, my beloved. My most beautiful of women, come with me to the luxurious gardens of life. I mean, trust me, the harsh winter with its destructive floods that have beat you up for so long is over. Open your eyes and see the spring in the land. There is new hope. Look into your chaotic soul again. Can you see what I see? Can you see the new growth, the glorious flowers that were not there before? Can you hear the beginning pangs of joy? Can you begin to smell the fragrant first blossoms of our vineyard? Can you begin to taste the first fruits of real love, the first vibrations of the romance that you have longed for deep down? Arise, my darling, my most beautiful of women, come with me to the luxurious gardens of life. It's a picture of worship, again, right? Well, it happens in the spring. Fig early fruit is called the bakuru, and it happens, matures in the spring. You don't see the flowers because they bloom inside the hollow, fleshy stalk, the siconium. And the main fig crop develops in late summer or fall. Grapevines also blossom around the same time, April, May. So what's the source of her delay, of her hesitancy? In the Middle East, there are two seasons, wet and dry. And remember, it's a semi-arid desert. The bulk of the rain occurs in the torrential rain showers in the winter. Listen, the winter rains are dangerous, and that's what the poet is saying. For her, the winter rains are the traumatic relationships that have wounded her, oppressed her, beat her up, that have scared her subconscious so much they have to be protected by the the lattice. The queen represents all of us who are loved by the king. But let me speak to the women directly. Poetically, it represents a dangerous wild flood, and in actuality, it's a devastating emotional relational trauma. Over half of you women who are listening to this have been exposed to at least one traumatic event. 
you're twice, one source says, three times as likely to develop PTSD as men. Often it's sexual trauma. One in three women will experience sexual violence. In some communities, it's, it's a lot higher. Sexual trauma early in life can interfere with neurobiological development, personality, sense of safety and well-being. And it was not your fault. And you couldn't stop it. It was forced upon you. And it can lead to chronic fear, to overreactionary stress response system, ongoing cortisol release. It can lead to depression, weight gain, triggering. So uh, you could be easily startled now. You could be having trouble feeling emotion. You could be feeling numb. You could avoid things that remind you of the trauma. You could feel depressed or anxious at certain times. You could struggle with sleep. You could struggle with relationships, heightened anxiety levels. You could have addiction proneness. And again, it's not your fault. Subconscious, you may feel that life just sucks. Well, trauma is like the winter rain. When the rain hits the sun-baked wadis and streams, it runs into sheets and quickly turns into a dangerous flood. I was in Israel in the winter and witnessed a winter rain. It washed out a major road near En Gedi. It was magnificent to watch, I got to tell you. It caused a lot of destruction, but it also caused the desert to bloom overnight. Grass and flowers and uh, fig leaves. Three observations. One, the harsh winter is real. This is her life. She has been beat up in the long, long winter. There are real reasons, beloved, for your shame, for your addiction proneness, for your loneliness, for your fears, for the lattices. And the king recognizes the effect of the winter on you. He's so aware of your hesitancy. You're described as timid, hiding dove, hiding in the cleft of a tall, distant cliff, choosing a safe, lonely existence because... The alternative has been too painful. Nothing has hurt you more than relationships. The king gets it. He doesn't criticize you or beat you up for it. He doesn't manipulate or act in any controlling manner towards you. This is pure respect, pure honor. And he says, it's your choice. I'm reaching out my hand. Come, let me hear your voice, your wonderful voice. Let me see your face. Just do that one thing. Trust me. So different from what you're used to, I would suspect, from your family. Um, from your own heart. Second observation. Notice the spring's coming coincides with the coming of the king. And what a coming. Flowers explode onto the desert carpet. Doves, fig blossoms all come all at once in the song. The air is filled with a glorious sensual fragrance. Not the dank, stuffy stuff inside of her prison. Come, my beloved, come. He gently cajoles her. Not demanding. Again, pastor, minister, priest, is this what's happening in worship, this, this gentle cajoling? Come, come to the table, come to the Eucharist. Something new is here, says the king. Come out of hiding. It's Aslan coming and everything is spring in the land. Third observation. Within the boundaries, the walls, she can't see. You can't see that winter has already gone. Shame's very self-focused. Self-loathing is self-focused. Self-pity is self-focused. So you don't see the spring all around your death trap. The shout of the king is required to get your attention. Revelation is required. The word. King must speak into your darkness, into your chaos, into your fears, into your shame, just as he did in Genesis 1. Interesting note. In Sumerian bridal songs, the bridegroom, Damuzi, remember we talked about the, this being 
God picking songs like that and incarnating it with his glorious message? Well, in Sumerian bridal songs, the bridegroom, Damuzi, appears at Inanna's door for the wedding ceremony. It's the, it's the groom procession. And he calls out impatiently, make haste to open the door, my lady. Make haste to open the door. Inanna's ready. She's been waiting for her groom to come. He's gone to prepare a place, and he's come back, and it's going to be the marriage ceremony. And it says she had bathed herself in water, anointed herself with sweet oil, put on for an outer garment the grand queenly robe, also took her man-beast amulets, whatever that is. Uh, I don't recommend them, but there they are. Was straightening the lapis lazuli stones on her neck and held her cylinder seal in her hand. The young lady stood waiting. Demuzi pushed open the door, and like a moonbeam, she came forth to him out of the house. He looked at her, rejoiced in her, took her in his arms, and kissed her. Well, if movement two is the parallel to that, the poetic image of the king coming for the marriage celebration, the groom procession after the betrothal ceremony and the time away to prepare the room in his father's house for her. Well, she's not ready. Uh, this would have been a pure act of, of self-destruction. This would have been a social offense to the king. So do we do this? Sunday? Think about it. This is a good place to take a break for our sponsors. We'll pick it up in verse 14 in just a moment. All right, verse 14. My dove in the cleft of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Uh, in my translation, oh, my gentle, frightened spirit, you've cowered in fear for too long. Come out of your hiding place. Those dank, lifeless crags, those distant, lonely, inhuman places. Here, try this. Just look at me. Risk just that. Say anything to me and see how I will respond. I love your face. You're gorgeous to me. I love your voice. It is sweet music. Beware the enemies of intimacy in your walls, the foxes within your soul, the fears, the doubts, the memories, the wounds, the mistakes. They are not for you. They are not our friends at all. They slowly devour your personhood, your vineyard. They nibble away at any shalom. Kill them before they cause you to miss intimacy with me. Well, the lover recognizes that the queen tragically won't or can't naturally by her own will respond. She is not free from her fears. All right? I mean, we speak of free will, but this queen, her free will is being strangled by her subconscious. So she's hiding in her self-made cleft in the rock. Why? Survival. It makes perfect sense to her. These are her protective boundaries and walls, a death trap in reality, but her subconscious thinks doing its job. And once again, either way, this is not the appropriate home for a queen. It's a tragedy. All right, I thought about how the queen's life strategies are working. <laughs> Have the relational coping mechanism served her well? Yes and no. I mean, apart from the existence of a great lover king and the groom and his love for her, she needs the walls. She's got to protect herself. 
I mean, it would just cause her head to blow up. But she's not designed for these walls. She and you and me were designed to be vessels of honor, free, bounding and leaping like the king. But her brain's normal protective shields have now made her a prisoner, lonely, withered, self-focused, afraid, broken, a shadow. So which is worse, the destructive winter rains or her self-imposed loneliness? The great lover king, the groom, knows that she's miserable. His love just keeps pursuing her, penetrating the, the lattice. Well, I wonder if a lot of what we do at church and religion is just shallow, well-meaning, but largely powerless coping. I wonder if a lot of our institutional religion is just lattice work to keep people numb. No judgment. This is what we must continue to do unless there really is a great lover king who really does leap and bound and pursue and love and really does honor, really pursues us as we are, not as we should be or could be, all because of Jesus And by the way, if there is no great lover king, we're all toast. Life is only winter. Winter reigns. Uh, Quickly, what are the foxes? The foxes must be related to the walls. Both were enemies of the vineyard, life, growth, community, joy, the grapes, enemies of the king. They prevent the queen from loving the king and being loved by the king. I would suggest that the foxes are the issues that motivate the need for the wall in the first place. Those old wounds, the baggage, the memories, the emotions that we carry that prevent vulnerability and nakedness, the leaping and bounding. Shame, guilt, doubts, insecurity, jealousies, hurts, fears, inability to deal with past injustices, to access real forgiveness, right? The, The addictions. The foxes eat the grapes, destroy the harvest. Ultimately, the foxes bring her gaze upon herself and and her problems, her deprivation. So let me give you four dangerous foxes from the gospel app shape that draw you away from the free enjoyment of God's love for you. Guilt, shame, orphan bent, and the God I have now of addiction. The foxes have nibbled and nibbled and nibbled. The lattice work is layering, layered with these fears and doubts, and your view is very much obscured. Come with me. I'm spring. Do you really want winter to end? That's my question. Right? It's a good one. If you really want to be you, and if you really want to enter that dance again, the king and his love for you, experienced by you, not just accepted as a truth that a box should check, it's the only option. Key point. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. John Calvin argues that there is a spirit-sourced faith that enables me to, to look up into God's measuring gaze and expect to be adored and honored as if I had been perfectly faithful and righteous. It's an amazing miracle, he would say, to know beyond my brain's ability to comprehend something that good, that that relationship is mine, eternally mine, and that I cannot nor have I messed it up or will mess it up. It's miraculous, it's mysterious, and a boldness that springs from this unreasonable pleuraphoria, which is the Greek word for this deep abiding confidence. It's not just some statement of a theology or I want to believe it's true, or if I say it enough, it'll be true, fake it till I make it. I'm actually feeling God's favor towards me. I'm feeling like I can trust God. And it's ignited by this heavenly sourced spirit 
faith. And so true is it that the term faith is often used as an equivalent to this confidence, Calvin says. So here's my expanded translation of Calvin's Institute, Book 3, where he talks about it. How do we know, he says, that we have spirit pleroforia, spirit faith, and this is critical to us in our beat-up, groaning world, engendered that confidence which Paul elsewhere terms peace, Romans 5.1. This is the powerful sense of relational security which quiets and calms our naturally troubled, fearful conscience. Until we experience this sense of security and the favor of God, we will always wonder and doubt if enough has been done on our account. Our hearts are prone to being vexed and almost torn with tumultuous dread. It is a critical fingerprint of the presence of this spirit faith when Jesus' followers really get that he or she is fully and eternally reconciled with God and that he is now and will ever be a kind father to them. They can, with great expectation of joy and peace, look up into his measuring gaze, anticipating his love. Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans eight thirty eight to 39 Relational security is a necessary fruit of true spirit faith. Not all the time, of course. That would be heaven. But it should be noticeable. And he continues, Why do believers feel such anxieties and fears related to their relationship with God? Why do we have so many violent temptations that just keep, that just keep coming to our brains, unending wave after wave that inevitably cause us to doubt God's goodness, God's love for us, and our position as His adored child? Why doesn't faith give us more certainty? Why don't we f- just feel stunning confidence and assurance of God's adoration all the time? Well, for reasons known only to God, this side of heaven, we are not promised a certainty and assurance of our relational attachment to God that is never affected by fears, doubt, shame, or anxiety. We are saved into a lifetime of struggle with our dysfunctional consciences that spew out fears and doubts. So this is our charge to learn to be aware of our struggle and to lean into spirit-sourced faith to overcome our inner doubts and fears more regularly. This side of heaven, our consciences will never be still or fear and anxiety free. So where movement two played out day after day after day, God finds us, he speaks, we hear the word, and he speaks into our lattices that popped up overnight. And we have to work through that. In our poetic terms, We're asked to lean into God's penetrating love and power to break through our normal human lattice. Because of the mess in our subconscious, we can't do it on our own. We need power greater than the inner working models in my subconscious. I need more power than my prefrontal cortex can muster. It has so little power. It's actually the weakest part of my brain. So like Paul, I can ask God to give me his power through the spirit in my inner being so that I can begin to feel the king's love. Uh, this pleroforia, and then I began to dance. Yeah? You know, come, let's go into the garden today. She apparently ascends, by the way, in movement number two, because something miraculous happens, something unexpected. The effect, we suspect the king did it, and the queen testifies once again that she feels loved. All right? 
Well, more to come. Let us know if you're getting it. We love hearing from people. Bill at gospel-app.com. Do us a favor and help us get the word out about the love of God for the unlovables. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts and intentionally follow. If you go to Apple or Podchaser, you can actually review this particular podcast. I would love to hear what connected with you. So please do. This might be just a thing for someone else who's looking around and might check it out because of your testimony, your your uh, connection. Thanks for coming alongside of us as a co-conspirator. I'm rewriting my book on the Song of Songs. If you want to know more about that and get on the list, bill at gospel-app.com. Take heart, child. There's nothing in this world that he cannot do if we truly allow his love. We can do nothing without him. Anything that we do apart from him is not something that's permanent. We all need his grace. That's everybody. We are all broken people on our way to a place that we believe is, is waiting on us in heaven. You can find more of Bridges with Monica Schmelter at lifeaudio.com. In Christ, we are all one family. Amen.